Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, howdy, friends, and welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This podcast is going to be dedicated to a sort of random, um, off-the-top-of-my-head discussion of chord progressions and understanding chord progressions and communicating chord progressions. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. And I want to apologize in advance that you may hear a truck go by or a rooster crow or crows cawing in the background or birds chirping because I am in the tack room this morning. I'm trying to take advantage of that short window of cool temperature. And it's muggy. Very, very humid. We've been getting a lot of afternoon showers, which is great for the garden. Although, on the garden note, let me mention for you fellow gardeners, I have finally been attacked by the dreaded hornworm, the tomato hornworm, which I I knew they were coming. And uh, so I have to twice a day go out there and methodically search the tomato plants for the dreaded hornworm. And of course, they start out and they're very small. They're only about an inch long, look like a little green inchworm. But within two days, they're about as big as your thumb, big, ugly, and they can strip a tomato plant. Ugh. So they're here. I thought maybe, um, you know, I wouldn't have any this year. No such luck. They're here. So I'm picking off hornworms. Uh, the potatoes are really getting really close to digging. So that's enough garden talk. I want to also, as a preface to this show, say thank you again. I'm not going to do it by name and read the list, <clears throat> just simply because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but I want to say thank you to the patron supporters of the show who have gone to bradleylaird.com slash no who back that up who have gone to patreon.com slash bradley laird and are supporting the show with little small recurring donations to keep the wheels in motion and to each one of you patrons i appreciate you and i say thank you now let's turn to one of these listener emails from the do me a favor episode and i'm just going to read one today i'm just going to read one and this is from a fellow listener by the name of david shaw so here's his email hello brad listen to your latest podcast a couple of nights ago and by the way he wrote this one on february 25th so i'm not sure which episode he's talking about it could be the do me a favor. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at the dates. Back to his email. I know it helps to hear that people are really listening. Well, I have listened to all your podcast episodes. I was never so sad. I want to get out my little miniature fiddle right now. I was never so sad as when I finished them all. Well, let me interject I haven't made them all yet, so hang in there, David. As I'm doing right now, there are more coming, so you'll never finish them all unless I finish them all. 
and I'll finish them before you do. Maybe by only one episode. Back to his email. Now I repeat them and wait for the next one to appear. This is my kind of guy. I wish I could clone lots of David Shaw's. Just keep cloning David Shaw's. Makes me feel good. Uh, Back to his email. I have most of your products. Ka-ching! Thanks again, David. Everything you're doing is exactly... You're like my dream avatar listener. You know, you listen to every episode and you buy my stuff. What what more could a guy ask for? (sighs) Except... uh, you know what What I could ask for, and, and I probably won't get, is for a bunch of my listeners, and I keep thinking I may do this one day, to just come down here when the watermelons are ripe, and man, are they growing. You know, they start out at just a little bitty thing, like about the size of a peanut. And then you go out there the next day, and they're six inches long, and they look like Full-grown watermelons, except they're not. They're just little bitty watermelons, you know, about the size of a hand grenade. Not that I've had any experience with hand grenades. About the size of a potato. Then you come out the next day, and they're 10 inches long. These things grow like mad. But I have this idea that, kind of just a wacky idea, that uh, maybe a few listeners would just like to come down here when it's watermelon cutting time, have a big picking hang around the barn, uh, meet meet the chickens and the donkeys, and just generally goof off and be useless for a day or two. I think that would be a good thing to do. We'll come back to that. Back to his email. I have most of your products. I think I'm only missing the jam tracks. Interesting he should mention that. I'm going to talk some about jam tracks today. I appreciate the time and energy it takes to produce the podcast. And I want to thank you for your great learning materials. I couldn't pay a Madison Avenue ad agency to write copy that good. That's amazing. I will take advantage of the sale you offered today. I, sorry, David, I, I forgot what that sale was. But anyway, hey, thanks. I'm still a, a mandolin beginner, but you are helping me grow into an intermediate one. You know, really, I think that, not just for mandolin, but I think that may be my calling. Because if you get to an intermediate, you're sort of off to the races, you know. And I think the reason I'm so passionate about taking that person with just a couple hours experience and introducing them and and showing them the, the magnitude of what is possible and then to bring them to the point where they can actually do some of those things. I think the reason that I am so passionate about doing that is because when I did it, it was so incredibly difficult for me. I had to figure it out all myself, all by my lonesome. Very little input from the outside world, as did most everybody back in the day, as we say as we old-timers say. It's considerably easier to get information today. You know, I I played for... I'm sure I played banjo for over a year before I ever saw a person play a banjo in person. 
you know, other than perhaps just a, a few quick cuts on hee-haw or something. So I think that's why I'm sort of so into this is I want to do my part to make it easier for you to get to that next level. Because when you get to the next level, the intermediate and beyond, the whole world opens up to you. And you can do a lot more fun things than sit around on your couch playing two-finger chords on your mandolin, you know. All right, back to the email, final line. Thank you again for all you do for our bluegrass community, David Shaw. And thank you, David, for sending that in. Not only the purchases you have made and the compliments that you have showered on me, just the fact that you took the time to write makes me feel like continuing this. You know, I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and they, they like to toss around you know, occasionally the numbers of listeners they have and how many downloads we've had. And, and every time I hear one of those, I think, man, I am not getting it done in terms of numbers. I mean, it's, I have, what have I got? Like pushing 80,000 downloads total to me, that's huge. But to I always use Joe Rogan. I don't even listen to his podcast. I've, I have listened to a couple of them. But, you know, I'll hear somebody toss out like, you know, we've had 250,000 downloads. And I'm thinking, wow, they're really getting it. But, you know, they're just doing something that appeals to a, a bigger audience. Okay, let me put this stack of emails aside. And I'll get to some more next time. At the end of this episode, I'm going to play you... For the outro music, um, a little, a little bluegrass rhythm jam track, and I just want to play it as kind of a little teaser that Jackson and I have been hard at work here recently, plotting, planning, recording, assembling a completely new set of bluegrass practice jam tracks. Um, David, in his email that I just read, mentioned the only thing he didn't have were the jam tracks. And by the way, on the show notes page, go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this particular episode, click that, and you will see any links that I put in there to things that I'm going to talk about. And I will mention a few things in today's show, and I'll put links on the show notes page to those resources. And one of them will be the jam tracks since David mentioned them. I want to make it real easy for David to find the jam tracks. But the the jam track collection that I presently have, you always have a problem with things of that nature is that someone will look at the list of songs and there'll be five other songs that they wish it contained. Well, it doesn't have Blue Ridge Cabin Home, which actually I think it does, but I'm using that as an example. Let's say you're learning to play Whiskey Before Breakfast. Boom, it's in there. It's in my Jam Tracks, Bluegrass Jam Tracks collection. But let's say you're doing Angeline the Baker. It's not in there. So I don't have a track prepared. So I could spend the next five years of my life creating 5,000 jam tracks. <laughs> or I could, you know, mow the lawn and try to make a living to where 
I can anticipate your every request. Well, I can't really do that. And so I want to caution you that while I do think jam tracks are the one of the greatest resources for the beginner who has nobody to play with to get some serious playing time in. If you play that Angeline the Baker over and over and over with the tracks at multiple speeds, maybe you're starting out and you're just learning it and you're doing it at 80 beats a minute, and then you move up to the 90 beats a minute, then you move to the 100 and the whatever, 105, 110, 115, 120, you're getting better. And that's the real point. I mean, on on one hand, the point is to have this experience of playing the song along with a good rhythm track and it sounds really great and you're enjoying it and wow, that's great. That is purpose one, but purpose two is it makes you a better player. Because as I've mentioned before about jam tracks, they don't care if you even exist. They play in perfect time and force you to play in perfect time. So they're a wonderful tool for improving your timing, as is a metronome. And I don't, just because jam, jam tracks are available, I don't say throw your metronome away. I say use it, especially to fill in the gaps between certain tempos. There have been tunes that I've been working up. I remember in particular working on the fiddle tune called Snowshoes. Working on it, working on it, working on it. And I had made a couple of rhythm jam tracks, and it was, I think, maybe just a guitar. I don't know if I put bass and mandolin in there, but I made me a guitar rhythm track. Several of them. But I made the spacing between the tempos too great. So when I'm grooving along pretty good at 100 beats a minute, and the next track is 120, and I really need 105, but I didn't, I didn't make it. And we didn't have, at that time, the amazing slowdowner. And there are even some trick controls within certain uh, music players that will alter the keys and alter the tempos and all that kind of thing. But we didn't have that back then. So to make that leap from 100 to 110, the best thing to do is to get the metronome out because you can go from 100 to 101, 102, 103, 104, and work your way. You can fill in the gaps with a metronome. And I do like metronome training, even though it's not as musically satisfying as a jam track. I do like them because they force you to listen even more intently than when you've got a bass and a mandolin chop and rhythm guitar and some tonal center because of the chords that you're hearing, it's easier. So a metronome makes it deliberately more difficult. You don't hear the chord changes. All you hear is a tick. You just hear time. And it forces you to listen more actively. So I like using both. All right. The reason I'm talking all about these jam tracks is because, as I said, I am building a, creating a new set of jam tracks to try to just give you more tunes. So they're going to be very similar to what I currently sell, um, but just 
more tunes, and in this case, I'm going to create more tempos. So instead of many of those in, in the set that I offer have three tempos, and they're oriented on the slow side because, frankly, it's beginners and intermediates who use these things. Advanced players probably don't spend a lot of time sitting around practicing with jam tracks. Maybe they do. But the, uh, the idea is this time around, I'm going to give you a bunch of new tunes and I'm going to include more tempos. So that's coming. I'm working on that steady and it's eating up a lot of time uh, to get those things recorded, put together, mixed, output. Yes, it, it's, this is a nightmare of a project. It's one of those things I was telling Jackson. He often comes around to me with an idea. What do you think about doing this? We should do this. You should do that. You know, <laughs> these sorts of things. And I say to him, just remember, thinking up the idea and saying it is immensely easier than actually doing it. I've, you know, it's like the suggestions I get from my, my website. I'll get somebody send me an email and say, hey, hey, Brad, love your website. Why don't, why don't you do this? And it, he can say it in one sentence, and it sounds so simple. But then I think a thousand hours of work, you know, or I don't know how to do that, or I don't know how to do that, and I don't know how to do that, and I'd have to pay somebody to do that, and I... So ideas are simple, you know, that's why I like theoretical philosophers and things like that. It's real easy to give a little speech and, uh, you know, state your philosophy or your theory on how the world should be, but now try to make the world actually be that. That's um, orders of magnitude more difficult. So I am deep in that, and I've got several other projects sitting on the back burner right now. Some, some other things that I want to do had an interesting opportunity recently, which I'm not going to talk about now that I would like to pursue too, but I'm deep in the middle of this jam tracks thing. And I may even go back. And for those of you familiar with the mail and masterclass and the mail and training camp books, I did those tracks a long, long, long time ago, back, what, 2004 or five. And I often wish that I had more tempos available and more tracks, just more things that I could have included there. Uh, and the technology today is making that possible. So I may actually go back and create some additional tracks that, you know, go along with those, those two particular products. Uh, okay, so I said that I was going to talk about chords and chord progressions, and I'm in talking about jam tracks here, um, I sort of am, because when you play, put on to listen to or to play along with one of these bluegrass practice tracks or jam tracks, you're hearing the chord progression, and you're hearing it performed in a bluegrass style and bluegrass rhythm, you know, but it's following a chord progression. Oh, and before I forget, what I was going to say is the outro music for this is a sample of one little particular uh, jam track that I'm that I knocked out, and I'm I'm building. I've got this. I opened a spreadsheet 
with this list of titles, keys, and tempos. It's this giant grid of, you know, you think you got, let's say you had 10 tunes. Well, if you put them at five tempos, now you got 50 tracks. And then if you have some of those in multiple keys, it gets bigger than that. You may be at 80. It, it could be 200. I, I don't know how big this thing's going to get. Um, but I want to do them, and I want to do them. And so, <laughs> that was stupid. I want to do them, and I want to do them. I must really want to do them. Yeah. <laughs> but I just feel like there's a need, because uh, there's a lot of tunes that are pretty common tunes that I simply don't have the tracks ready ready for you to use, so I'm making them. So I'm deep into that, so I'm going to play a little sample of that. That is the outro music. You're just going to hear um, a little snatch of one of those tracks. Now, after 20 minutes, let me get to the topic for today. I want to talk about chord progressions. And when I say chord progressions, I want to instill in you that chord progressions are important in all styles of music, all songs, all tunes. I don't know of a tune unless it's strictly a, let's say you had a, a, a drum record and it was nothing but drums. Okay, in that case, there wouldn't be a chord progression. But in all forms of music where pitch is involved, there is always an underlying chord progression. And it can go from the most simple. Uh, take a George Thorogood song. Some of those George Thorogood songs are one chord. It's one chord all the way through. That's it. So the chord progression is fairly simple there. But take a song like Wichita Lineman, for example. That is the squirreliest, most involved chord progression. You're not going to pick it up like you do Nine Pound Hammer. There are, it's a complex chord progression. It's perfect and it makes complete sense for that song. But they run that gamut from, you know, practically no chord progression. If you looked at a tune like Sally Gooden, Sally Gooden. Is almost a one chord song. It does go from the one chord to the five and back to the one. That's it. Very simple, but it is a chord progression. You take a tune like Salty Dog, it's a little more complex. Got uh, one, two, three, four, four chords. Um, you got your, your two chord songs, your three chord songs, your four chord songs, your five, your six, you know, and it goes up from there. So we're all encountering these all the time. And I, as a beginner or an intermediate player, and maybe some advanced players, a lot of focus is spent concentrating on playing that melody, playing that solo. You know, you want to play Liberty, and you want to learn how to pick the melody to Liberty. And maybe you're not thinking so much about the underlying chord progression. But if it starts on a D and it goes to a G and it goes back to a D, the notes you're playing in your lead, their entire context is changed in a sort of music theory way. So if you're hip to the chord progression, 
Number one, you can play rhythm and backup and accompaniment much easier. Uh, you know, nobody likes to hear a wrong chord being played. That's one purpose for knowing the chord progression. But, you know, I think a lot of people just sort of separate these in their mind. It's like the chord progression is for the backup players and the lead, well, you just play the melody or you sing the melody. But the melody that you're singing relates to the chords. I mean, it's all one unitary thing. So first of all, before we talk about chord progressions any further, you have to know what is a chord. I would simply suggest that you, for any instrument, I don't care what you play, I made a mandolin video. It's a free video. It's on my site, bradleylaird.com slash play the mandolin slash videos.html, I think, but you'll find it. It's called What is a Chord? You could go to YouTube. It's on there. What is a Chord? If you don't know what a chord is, you need to know that first. And then the follow-up question would be, what is a chord progression? And a chord progression is simply the order in which the chords occur within the tune or within the song. It does not, the chord progression does not tell you for how long a particular chord is held or played. So if I said Sally Gooden and it starts on an A chord and then it goes to an E chord and then it goes to an A chord, that's the chord progression. But I didn't tell you how many beats you play of each one. You know, you could play one beat of A and 18 million beats of E followed by 16 beats of A. That's different. That's, you know, they're both the same chord progression, but they're not charted out the same way. So I think of differentiating between what's the progression and what's the, what's the chart. You know, like, give me a chord chart for that song. It's going to say four beats of this chord, four beats of this chord, four beats of another chord, two beats of chord, and two beats of chord. And if you go to my Jam Session Survival book, both the, uh, the print version or the mobile version, that's what you're getting. You're getting the chord progression plus the timing. So you really need both, but... When we say chord progression, we really just mean the order of the chords. So if I say, hey, this song is a one, two, five, one. Well, I'm talking numbers now. We'll get to numbers in a minute. Uh, let me do that differently. It's G, A, D, G. That's the chord progression. So you know that's the order of the chords that you're going to be encountering. So let's say you're, you're chopping mandolin and some guy tells you that. Well, the chord, it's G to A to D to G. But you don't know when. That's when you use your ear. You're playing along the G. When you hear it change, well, it's on the A. When you hear it change again tonally, you're on the D. And when it changes back, you're on the G. So the progression doesn't tell you when to change. It just tells you that a change occurs and you got to listen for it. A chart tells you when the change occurs. So now I got into numbers briefly there. 
I want to uh, just remind you that chord progressions and chord charts, where you chart out a tune, um, can be described in multiple ways. The most common and the simplest for a beginner is to describe each chord by a letter name. So if I want you to play a C chord, I tell you it's C. And C means C major. And if it's C minor, I say C minor. <laughs> I mean, so we're using letters to describe the chord progression. So a chord progression might go G, C, G, D, G. So I'm using letters. But I could describe that same chord progression as 1, 4, 1, 5, 1. And if you're not familiar with the number system, you might think, why are you making it so complicated? Okay, I know where a C chord is and a G chord and a D chord is on my instrument. Why are you telling me these numbers? Are you just trying to confuse me? Well, actually, it's simpler. It is a little confusing at first, but it's simpler in the end because every key that you might play the song in, the chord progression remains the same. So, for example, if I play nine pound hammer in the key of G and I call out the letters, the chord progression to you, it's gonna be G, C, G, D, G. But if we go to the key of A, now it's A, D, A, E, A. We have to do this potentially 12 times. What if we do it in the key of B? <laughs> what, are, what are the letter names? But if I gave it to you in numbers and I said it's 1, 4, 1, 5, 1 in G, then you just orient your brain to G and your hands on your instrument to G and you play 1, 4, 5. Then I say, well, that's a little too low. I can't quite hit that low note. Run it up to B flat. I don't need to tell you the, the chords in B flat, even though they are B flat, F, B flat, C, B flat. But it's way too much thinking. You could just go one, four, one, five, one in B flat. Just start on B flat and play one, four, one, five, one. So when you learn the number system, it actually becomes considerably easier. There are many times when I'm playing the bass, the bass in particular and the mandolin, where I don't think about the chord names at all. Just give me the numbers. And I, I know where they are in relation to each other. I'll talk about that in a minute. So where do these numbers come from? Why do we call a one chord a one chord and a four chord a four chord and a five chord a five chord? It all begins with the major scale of the key which you are in. So if you're in the key of C, you begin with the notes of the C major scale. And I'm not going to try to teach this here. I just want to expose you to it. If you've heard of it and don't understand it, or you've heard of it and you understand a little bit of it, but you'd like to understand a little bit more. It all, the numbers all come from the major scale of the key in which you're playing. So in your key of G, 
you would have a G major scale and each note of the G major scale is assigned a number. One through seven. And then the chords which occur are labeled by number based upon the note of that scale. Now this may already be getting a little confusing and I would encourage you and I don't care what instrument you play, if you want a little short course in chords by the numbers, go get my mandolin video. It is a mandolin video, but I have to tell you, the only thing mandolin about that particular video is that I'm holding a mandolin, which I don't think I even played a note on in the video. I'm simply holding a mandolin while I teach and explain the basics of chords by the numbers. So it's one of my mandolin videos, and I'll put a link to it on the show notes page for today's episode. But it doesn't matter if you play guitar or bass or any, any instrument capable of producing different pitches. Piano players. If you're a piano player and you don't know anything about chords by the numbers, go watch that video. That's one way to get this information. And I don't want this to sound like a plug, but I can, I can plug my, my material uh, safer than I could plug other people's material because I know it's in my own material. This same information that is found in that video, which is called Chords by the Numbers, which, by the way, also comes with a PDF file that explains a lot of this in print form as well. So it's a video plus some paperwork. This is also explained in my book, Mandolin Masterclass. And that is oriented specifically towards mandolin players. And then it is also explained for banjo players in my book, The Flint Hill Scrolls. So a much deeper dive into this topic are in those books, but the video is sort of an introduction to it. Now, you might be wondering, how can this help me play better? Well, the first thing it does, and probably I think the most important thing that it does, is it allows for greater communication between your fellow musicians and yourself. If you're one of those people who only think in terms of letter names for chords, well, we play a G, then we play a B minor, then we play a C, then we play a D7, then we play an F, then we, you know, if that's how you think, that's wonderful until somebody would like to change the key of the song and the capos come out. And I've talked about this before, you know, you put the capo on the third fret of the guitar. And the guitar player's brain, he's thinking D. He's playing a D. But is it a D? No. It's three frets higher. So it's an F. So he's really playing F, but he's thinking D. Do you see how the confusions come in? And bluegrass bands are a mix of capo users and non-capo users. You got your bass player, your mandolin player, your fiddle player, and sometimes the dobro, who are not using capos. Oftentimes, the, the dobro kind of goes both ways. The dobro will use a capo sometimes, and sometimes not. Mandolin players generally never use them. 
Same with bass players and fiddle players. But guitar players and banjo players in bluegrass always use capos. There are rare exceptions. There are. But typically, 99% of all banjo playing involves the use of capos. Same with guitar. That's what makes the bluegrass sound. It annoys me so much to be trying to have a good bluegrass jam session, and there's this guitar player there who knows a lot about jazz, and he just feels like the capo is a cheating device, and he doesn't want to use it. So everybody's up there in B, and we're ripping through some, you know, I don't know, some bad imitation of a Dale McCurry tune, which is a, probably a great imitation of Bill Monroe tune. And this guy, he might have a capo, but he feels it's beneath him to use the capo, and he wants to demonstrate to the rest of the people that he knows all these bar chords. So he plays these bar chords. And it just doesn't sound like bluegrass. Sorry, bro. That ain't bluegrass. Put it on. Stick the capo on. I'm not saying there's not value in knowing how to play without a capo. There is value. As every guitar player who uses capos knows, you know, they're in the key of G and suddenly they've got, um, I don't know, a B minor chord or something. Sometimes that bar chord is the way, you know. But if you just live in that bar chord world just because you want to show that you've, you're so competent as a, you know, rock jazz dude, well, you're not sounding very bluegrassy. That's all I'm saying. You, you, so you get what I'm saying. So here comes all this confusion. You got your mandolin player over here thinking in one key, and you got your guitar player thinking in another key, probably the same as the banjo player, and the bass player's thinking more like the mandolin player. They're in the real key. They're in the key of the sound of the song. And the fiddle player, although not known as a chordally-based instrument, needs to have his or her orientation to the key. Got to, you know, what key are we in? That's common first question for any song that is played. Same goes for the dobro player. Um, but if you want to talk about these things, if, if, if you... Maybe just a couple of you, if you and the bass player kind of have the rudiments of the number system in your head and you see the guitar player jump up to, let's say, capo on the fourth fret and playing out a key of, the guitar player's thinking key of C, but it's not the key of C. And the mandolin player figures it out, figures out what the real key is, and he looks to the bass player and he says, it's just a one, two, five, one, and that's it. You know, it's like you communicated all these chord letter names just with a couple of numbers. And then if that picky guitar player goes, wow, that's a little too high, and he just you see him unscrew the capo and slide it down one notch and tighten it back up, all your letter names, if you're in that school, just changed. But your numbers didn't change. The progression at its heart is numbers because we don't really care what key it's played in. I mean, if you're a good musician, and I think that should always be your goal, look, there are some songs I love to play in certain keys, and in the fiddle tune world and the banjo, you know, the instrumental world, there are certain fixed keys for certain songs. You are going to play Liberty and D. That's it. That doesn't mean you can't play it in other keys, but that's the standard key. So 
those kind can be dealt with fairly easily by just thinking in terms of letter names. Uh, but when you get into vocals, it's all over the place. And the number system helps, but it helps you in other ways. So let me describe some of the other ways in which knowing a little bit about this number system helps. Navigation on your instrument. I've taught for a long time a little thing called chord triangulation. And it started way before I was doing any videos or before I had ever written it out. I think it first appeared in print in my newsletter. I'm not sure when, maybe 2003 or four. I don't remember. I wrote it all up, but that came from a little write-up that I gave to many of my students. And before that, it came from my own head, from my own experience of this stuff just dawning on me that the way I moved chords around within a song on the mandolin followed this nice, neat little geometric pattern in triangular motions. And so I could treat my hand almost the way a guitar player treats a capo. I could be in G and knock out the chord progression, close my eyes, take my right hand and just shove the mandolin through my left hand to a higher position and play the exact same thing and I would have the same chord progression but in a higher key. I'd just slide the mandolin through. So I'd get up to B. It was exactly the same as if I played it in B flat in terms of the chords. And then I related this, and this is why it's helpful to think this way. I related this to the lead playing that I was playing as well. Because, you know, my, my starting note, my kickoff, where I'm putting my fingers to play my solo, all of that shifts vertically or horizontally, uh, laterally is the way I describe it in my material, vertically or laterally, shifts in the exact same way, side to side or up and down. And this is true on a bass, and this is true on a mandolin, and you could even say fiddle. I'm sure fiddlers think that way about their lead playing. They don't think so much about chords, but I'm quite certain that if you take a fiddle player playing something in B-flat, and he's got all his little fills and his little licks and his solos, and then you say, do it in B, he just slides his hand up and does the same thing, more or less. So the same principles are at work. Even though it, it applies beautifully to the mandolin, it also applies beautifully to the bass. A lot of people play bass strictly by the letter names, C, E minor, F, G, and memorize where those things are. And that works. But when you get into shifting to a whole bunch of different keys, if you find yourself playing in a key that you're unfamiliar with, especially with a more complex chord progression, you can very quickly lose track of that converting table in your mind where, let's see, C becomes E flat and D becomes, you know, gets really complicated to do that kind of thing. But if you learn it in such a way that what you're learning is the geography and these patterns on the fingerboard 
or on the fretboard, it's very simple because you're making the exact same motions. If I'm playing the bass and I'm playing a one chord, a pattern for a one chord, let's say a G, I'm playing the first and second string alternating. Boom, 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 boom. I know that when a five chord comes, I simply move that pattern towards me to the center pair. Bump, 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 bump. And I'm on a D chord. Well, that's true in every key. I went from a one chord to a five chord pattern by moving from the first pair of strings to the center pair of strings. That's all. It's always the same. I don't care where you are on the bass. You can play all the way to the end of the fingerboard, and that rule is still true. There's always a five, one pair of strings closer to you. It's a rule. And there's always a four, two half steps below that five. And that's that triangular movement. So you got the one, the five, and the four. You learn that triangle. Same thing I do on the mandolin, it's just backwards on the mandolin because of the way they're tuned. The, the triangles point in the opposite direction and go the opposite way. But the principle of triangulation on a bass is the same as the principle of triangulation on the mandolin. Now there are similar, similar uh, principles and you know geography and triangulation, things like this, that apply to the banjo but they're different. It's a little bit different because of the standard G tuning. You tend to think more um, what I call vertically. In other words, from the nut to the bridge, up and down the neck. That's the way you tend to think more on the banjo rather than side to side. Although that does occur. And guitar is probably the most difficult to do that with because of its very squirrely tuning system. Uh, Although the basic principles of a triangulating mindset, where you're thinking of where's one, where's four, where's five. And if I know where one is, I know where two is, because it's always higher than one. And if I know where two is, I know where three is, because it's always higher than two. You, you get what I'm saying here? It's one, two, three, four, five, six. And your seven flat is always lower than the one. Now, this may all be very confusing to you until you start thinking about it. And I encourage a lot of thinking. But the reason it's difficult on the guitar because, especially in bluegrass, the chords are just down. They're, you're trying to play as these open chords. You know, your typical G chord, your C chord, your D chord, your A minor, your E minor. You're playing down that area and the patterns are masked. They're, they're just not as obvious there as, say, a bar chord jazz guy who moves way up the neck. There is it is more easy to visualize those side-to-side -side and, and up-and-down motions. But the guitar, it's more difficult. So I, I don't really teach that because bluegrass guitar players, for the most part, don't use it very much. However, when they do use it, uh, one of the ways it can be used is because the four lowest strings of a guitar are tuned identically to the bass. So whatever triangulation mentality for determining where one, four, five, and all the other numbers are on a bass can be applied to the lower ranges of the guitar, and it can give you starting points and home 
you know, like, where's the root? You know, that kind of thing. So it is useful there. Um, I think, you know, a bass player can pick up a guitar. A bass player who understands navigating this way in terms of numbers and uh, geometrical patterns can pick up a guitar and play it like a bass and will identify where those things are without even knowing necessarily the names of the chords. And guitar players, I'm sure, sometimes do that. But it is so uh, perfect on the mandolin and also the fiddle and the bass. The, those two are just made for it because it's a very consistent tuning. You know, it's up fifth, up fifth, up fifth. And that's not true on a guitar. It's, you know, fourth, 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 third, fourth. <laughs> so it's a little, little more difficult to apply this stuff. But the, the, to apply the thinking process of, you know, thinking of chord progressions as numbers, like Devil's Dream is one, two minor, one, five, one. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that is correct. So a guitar player can learn that too. I mean, a guitar player could learn that in G, the G is the one, and the A minor is the two minor. And it wouldn't hurt a guitar player to know those things, especially so they can talk to their bass player and their mandolin player who do know those things and communicate easier. And then when the capo comes on, because you're probably going to want to play Devil's Dream in A, like everybody does, well, it's still one, two minor, one, five, one. But now it's an A. So it's A major, B minor, A major, E, A. You get where I'm... Is this all getting really confusing? If so, go watch that video, Chords by the Numbers, and read the little sheets that come with it as a PDF. Even if you don't play mandolin. <laughs> Check it out. I think I even have... Here and there, somewhere on my, I think on the Jam Session Survival, the free stuff that's up on my website, I think there is a discussion. If you go to that Jam Survival section of my website and you're looking at that long list of tunes, I think down at the bottom of that, there's a link talking about chord progressions. And you might just want to look at that too. If, you know, if you're strapped for cash or whatever, don't want to chunk out for the video lesson, uh, chords by the numbers. Okay, so I, I hope that I have made my case for at least encouraging you to explore being a little familiar with chords by the numbers. I'm not going to explain every detail about how to do it here because it would just get, frankly, way too confusing. Um, you know, I when I started doing the videos, I said there are some things that a video can show that simply can't be described adequately in print. But I also maintain that there are some things in video instruction or live in-person instruction that cannot be explained as well as a good old chart or a paragraph or a table or music notation or, you know, things like that. Some things are just better described in print and some things are better described with pictures or demonstrations. I mean, how many times has your old man been, you know, explaining something about the, how to fix the, you know, voltage regulator on your Volkswagen? And first thing, 
looking around for a piece of paper, you know, and a pencil. And he starts drawing out the voltage regulator and say, well, the red wire goes here and the green wire, you know, that kind of thing. It's or drawing in the sand, you know, even cavemen probably like, you know, on the riverbank after, you know, cracking clams and mussels all day long. Um, and they're running out and, you know, Og says to Charlie, there, look, and he draws in the sand with a stick and he makes a map of where this other creek is, you know, where there's a lot of clams. So sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, sometimes only an actual demonstration, you know, can get it across. So don't think that the video will do it all. Um, and there, there are descriptions in Masterclass and the Flint Hill Scrolls to describe all of this stuff, plus a whole bunch of other stuff in those books. So maybe you view this as a sales pitch for those products. If so, I apologize for that. And I don't mean it to be, I mean, I do appreciate the sales uh, and I encourage them, but you know, there are other sources for this. I just know that in a bluegrass context, you're not probably going to find too many better explanations of this stuff written. You know, you can go to Wikipedia and look up, you know, chord number system or something, and you're going to get a lot of information, but it won't be um, tuned to the bluegrass frequency, you might say. So uh, the way I teach things in my books is exactly the way I talk on the podcast except that I'm far more careful and far more organized. But I, I do toss in the occasional joke and one-liner and things like that. So, all right, I've beaten this dead horse enough. So if you have not explored chords by the numbers, I encourage you to get the basics of it. And by the way, that video explains the difference between the there are multiple systems uh, from you know just chord progressions by numbers, versus the so-called Nashville number system, which is a variation of it. I described that in that video. Um, so enough about that. Let's just uh, get out of here by listening to a little advanced preview of a little piece of one of these tracks that I am <laughs> spending so much time generating a whole pile of new jam tracks and Here's a little sample of one of them, and I'll talk to y'all in the next podcast. Oh, and by the way, before I go, since you're listening to this jam track, why don't you see if you can figure out what's the chord progression? First of all, figure out what key is it, and then what is the chord progression in terms of numbers? Give you a little project there. And you might even also want to try to figure out what's the name of the tune, because I'm not going to tell you. So, okay, having said that, enjoy this bluegrass jam track.